Okay. All right. I think we are here. Really? Good. All right. If someone is out there, please let me know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. I got, I have all green check marks. So I am going to, uh, Ooh, look at you queen. I, I just got a, I just got a notification that JCX fishing is live now. So. Okay. So, oh, I'm not sure what's going on, but we are live. Um, I guess we'll just uh, continue with this broadcast and uh, sure. go from there. Or would you like me to uh, start another one? Hey, whatever you want to do, man, it's your show. Well, all right, Chris is up. Oh, we got people coming on now. All right. Good evening, everyone. This is, uh, I apologize for the issues we had earlier. Um, I found out what it was, and uh, we got it fixed. Um, tonight's special guest is uh, Jay Angel, who is the owner and uh, podcaster of Let's Talk Fishing podcast. A um, little bit about Jay. He was, uh, ever since he was a kid, he'd always fished and fished obsessively, and um, that led into writing articles for the outdoors at a local newspaper. And then after that, he started, um, jumped up his game to a uh, Illinois-based fishing magazines. And uh, he began guiding and dabbling in the tournaments. And now, he, like I said earlier, he is the owner and chief podcaster of Let's Talk Fishing. Welcome, Jay. Thank you very much for hanging in with us. Thank you, John. It's an honor to be part of your podcast. And, and congratulations on your new podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, we've talked a little bit and, you know, I, you were one of my, the first interview, the, uh, one of the first to interview me as a fisherman. And I want, I thought what an honor it would be if you would allow me to, uh, do the same for yourself. So, it, yeah. It's also an honor for me. Actually, it was Chris Boring who, who suggested you. And yeah. I said, if Chris is, if Chris is going to, if Chris is going to endorse you, I'm going to have you on my show. I had you on my show. You did a great job. So I had you on my show again. Yes, I I greatly appreciate that. You know, I, I, every chance I get to talk about fishing, I enjoy. So uh, you do it a lot more than I do. Can you tell us a little bit about your uh, podcast? Well, you know, I'm moving down here in southern Louisiana, and it's about an hour drive to, to go fishing anywhere. And if you don't have a boat, you really can't stand on. There aren't a whole lot of opportunities for bank fishermen in, in Louisiana. You know, we have things like water moccasins and alligators and and very, very mean vegetation that has all kinds of thorns on it. So, you know, I kind of got frustrated with that. So I looked at my wife one morning and I said, you know, I'm bored. I'm going to start a podcast. And, she, and she's like, she looked at me and she said, okay, how are you going to do that? I said, watch me. I did some research and within two days I did my, I did my first recording of a podcast and I never look back, you know, as I've been an outdoor communicator for gosh, almost 25 years now. And it's just very natural for me, just like you to talk fishing. I, I love it. I love everything about it. And what I really, really love about, about being an outdoor communicator is I get to meet the other fishermen and, you know, the fishermen I've met like yourself, Chris Boring, Rob Welsh, and I, I could mention 50 others. They're just great people. 
And, you know, just doing the podcast has really increased the quality of my life. You know, I get to fish with guys that I never would have been eligible to fish with before. And, you know, I, I get to partner with companies and I get to know the people who own the companies. I just can't say enough about it. I just, I love podcasting. I love everything about it. Excellent. Thank you. Um, you know, we spoke a little bit earlier today and off and on throughout uh, the last couple of months. And one of the things you like to do is a, uh, is wacky rig. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. You know, I started wacky rigging back in like 1998 with a good friend of mine in Illinois by the name of Mike Norris. Um, I took him fishing out on the lake that I guided on and Mike just took me to school. I was, I was using a 10 inch ribbon tail worm and I was, I was targeting Creek channels and Mike said, Jay, it's post spawn. And I said, yeah. And he said, I know you caught fish. I know you caught huge fish doing this during pre-spawn, but now the fish are not in the water temperature is 72 degrees. The, the fish just aren't in the deep water. So it was time to adjust. So, so he put on a Bass Pro Shop Stipo and a size four and a size four um octopus hook, and 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 I casted it out there. And within a couple couple about half an hour, I hooked into something huge, and it was the it was a lake record smallmouth bass. That one fish, that one fish, launched my guide career because I, I took it in. I I took pictures of it. I took it into the bait shop. Before I released it, they took pictures of it. Next thing I know, they had a life-size picture in the bait shop of me holding that, holding that smallmouth bass, and it said Jay Angel's Guide Service. My phone started ringing off the wall, man. After that, I was hooked. And what what I like about the weightless wacky rig, particularly for guiding, it has one hook. One hook means there is less chance of me being hooked by one of my clients, and that happened a lot. But I, I, do weight, I do weightless wacky rigging a little bit differently than most people do. I like to do it in very shallow water, and I like to use a small hook. By a small hook, I'm, I'm talking a size 2 or a size 4 hook. Now, you know, Vector Hooks actually has a, 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 wacky, a wacky hook now. I bought a bunch of size 2s in, in that, and as soon as, as soon as I get better from this health condition I have right now, I'm going to take that out and give it a try. You know, I like... I like to use mono line because it sinks more slowly. And I like to use light line because it sinks more slowly. And and also I don't I don't use the fancy stuff. I don't put an O-ring on my on my wacky rig. I go right through it. And yes, you don't get to use a whole lot of it, but as far as I'm concerned, that's a business when you're fishing. And also I use different kinds of wacky worms, different companies' wacky worms for different situations. If I'm fishing in two to four feet of water, I like the Cajun Baton Jr. because it's the slowest sinking thing I can find. The slowest sinking worm. It just kind of floats down. You know, if I'm fishing in one foot to three feet of water, that's what I use. When I go five foot to seven foot, I'll, I'll, I'll use the I'll use the 48, which is made by Missile Baits. Okay. Because it sinks it sinks more quickly, you know. And one thing that Derek Hudnell taught me that I really like to use, particularly around here, I didn't have to do this down or up in Illinois, is, is I cast to, to the, the shadow side of the tree because there's so many trees in these waters. You know, we have cypress trees everywhere down here. 
and I was going all the way around the tree when I only had to target, you know, a foot and a half of it. Right. Um, I got a comment here from uh, Jeff Hendo Henderson. Sure. Uh, he's yes. He said Jay had my son on and and did a great job with him and great patience. So. You know, uh, Goose is a good kid, man. I really like Goose. For those of you guys who don't know, Goose is 13 years old, and he has autism, and he is going to fish his first tournament ever with a lady Excellent. named Violet Tally. Violet Tally, I've had her on my show probably four times, and she is an encyclopedia of fishing information. I mean, it, when I talk about a certain kind of reel that Daiwa has, she she knows the model numbers, and sometimes Daiwa might have three different suffixes for the for, for a reel that, that tells you three different attributes of it. She has them all memorized. I, I don't, I, I just, right. like and I, I work with Daiwa as well, you know, and, and I love their reels, but, but, you know, Violet is, is a, is an up and coming star. She's going to be a superstar, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to help her get there. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, I love to see, uh, Everybody fish. Um, I don't care if they're um, hearing impaired, sight impaired, or whatever, you know. Um, taking somebody to the outdoors um, could be the highlight of their lifetime. Well, you and, know, uh, one thing I like about that, that I really like, when, when several years ago, I, had, I also had some other health problems, and, and I, I couldn't fish. Well, I, I was fishing, but I shouldn't have been doing it. And, and anyways, I went to a tournament, and it was put on by, by an organization called Mission 6. Mission 6 reaches out to veterans and takes them fishing. And I was talking to one of the guys. I didn't even know he was involved with Mission 6. And, and I was telling him about, you know, I can't fish right now. I don't have any money. I'm unemployed. And he said, let me – what are you doing this Saturday? I told him, and the same thing I do every day. I'm sitting there watching TV. He said, let me pick you up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to take you fishing. He said, don't worry about anything. If you don't have any equipment, I have equipment. I said, how much is this going to cost? And he said, no, it's mission six, man. It's on us. And that meant so much. And for, for these for these families who have a child afflicted with autism, if we could just get them out there, like you said, if we could get them out there on the water and just, just get them out of the drama of their own lives, like you said, that's something they're never going to forget. It's going to mean the world to them. And exactly. just another day on the water for us, you know, we do this all the time. That's true. Um, as you talk about autism, um, I see M MC Norris from, um, is on here. So, and he's a uh, fishing for autism president. So that is a good man right there. I help out MC whenever I can. Excellent. Excellent. But, um, do you have any, uh, I mean, you, you, you're from the up, up north in Illinois, and then you yes. uh, moved down south. Is that because the Air Force brought you there, or? No, I was actually up, I was, I was living up in Alaska and working up on the Arctic Ocean, which was always one of my, one of my aspirations to do. And everything was going fine, and then politics made it impossible for me to live, to, to work up there anymore. Um, you know, they, they shut down the project. So they said, no, we're not going to drill up in the Arctic Ocean. Well, the, the company told me that, you know, I, 
that they'd like to keep me on, but I had to move down to Morgan City, Louisiana. So I moved down there and I continued working offshore for them. You know, and working offshore, you make a lot of money. And then when when the, in 2015 came, worldwide, the, the, the entire drilling, worldwide drilling just slowed down to almost nothing. Okay. And they laid off almost all of us and I couldn't find a job worldwide. I just stayed down here and I, and then finally, after a year of that, a year of doing nothing but bartending and fishing on the bank, I, I went crawling back to the United States Geological Survey, and they gladly took me back, but they took me back in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh. So, so I'm still here, you know, and I, I, met a, I met a great woman down here. We got married, and I'm still here, you know. But there's a lot to do down here for a fisherman. You got bass fishing. You got crappie fishing. You can go out to the coast and catch redfish and trout. It, it, is, it is fun living down here. Sure. Um, we have a question from uh, Joshua Lyko. Um, Jay, okay, hey, hey, he wants to know what your best achievement when uh, when it comes to fishing. Boy, I tell you, I'm going to say teaching my son how to fish. You know, but, but if you want to talk professionally, I just becoming an outdoor writer be becoming a, an outdoor communicator. What I like, I, I talked about this earlier, being an outdoor communicator puts me in a position that people who are great at the top of their game and what they do, they want to tell me how they do it. And I can incorporate that into my own fishing and become, become even a better fisherman. I'm always want to become a better fisherman. Every time I fish, I want to learn something, but also I get to fish with people who, you know, I wouldn't be eligible to fish with otherwise. Sure. Yeah, we have a couple guests here um, with us. Uh, Mommy? X, yeah, from the JCX. And uh, C, Constance, she's driving home from, uh, she had some errands to do. Um, I'll throw her in here also, if you don't mind, Jay. Because sure. uh, she, she has some questions to ask. Wants to talk to you a little bit. <laughs> well, I don't know and, about that. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, thanks. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, you know, get things here, so. Okay. That's just like you, Mommy. <laughs> yeah, that is Mommy and Jay, yes. And yeah. And you, Daddy. <laughs> yes, um, Rob Welsh just tuned in. He's uh, at Douglas Lake. Um, yeah. I, I, I believe uh, you two may know each other a little bit. I know Rob. Yeah. Rob's a good guy. I'll yeah. Put he's on his way to, uh, well, he's going to be fishing the uh, BASS Open this weekend. Yes. Douglas Lake. So, yeah. So, Constance, do you have any questions for Jay or want any tips or Anything we can get from them to to we have a successful podcast? Yeah. Oh well, that's all. That's all you. I don't. <laughs> well, my famous question, I guess, would be, "What is your favorite cookie?" My favorite cookie. <laughs> yeah, I'm a baker, so I got to know these things. <laughs> I, I just like sweet chocolate chip cookies. A good one. <laughs> yeah. You'll stand by. 
<laughs> okay. Um, Josh Lyko has a question again. Sure. And uh, his question is, being an outdoor writer, what was your favorite article to write that really meant a lot to you? I really liked writing the articles about about wacky rigging. I, I wrote an article I was very proud of. I didn't win any awards with it. I actually submitted it for a couple, but it was wacky rigging my spin. And I talked about about just what I talked about earlier earlier in okay. the in the broadcast about how how you know five feet of water is about back then five feet of water was the, the deepest I would go. And how I would bounce bounce my my wacky rig off of trees and, and and you have to sit there and and it was painfully slow allowing that worm to go all the way down to the bottom as soon as it hits the bottom i, I just twist it twice and, and come up but also the most important part of this presentation is the small hooks so it it it, it sinks more slowly light line and you have to have a great spinning rod and i did say spinning rod um because you're, you're using light line and the light, you know, the spinning rod, spinning reels, I think they have they have a much better drag. So if you hook into something big, you, you can just let it run until it tires itself out. I've even followed big bass around with my boat because I just don't want to lose them. You just have to you just have to maintain constant pressure because I'm using a small hook. Now down here I have gone to a little bit bigger hook. I don't use size fours anymore. I use size twos because I was losing fish when they're going through weeds. I was losing fish when they're when when they wind themselves around around cypress knees, so I went to a little bit bigger hook. And also, Derek Hudnall told told me that he uses a size two, and that man has. For those of you guys who don't know, Derek Hudnall is a Bass Bassmaster Elite Series pro, and he has won so much money wacky rigging. It did my heart good to see that my favorite presentation is used by so many of the the big pros. And these are guys who just, these are guys who just, they, they've won so many. Sure. So many. So much and, money. Uh, another Southern man, uh, Rob, well, Southern to me. Rob <laughs> Wells wants to know, best tip on fishing for redfish in Cajun country. Now, I don't Red know if he's bait. talking about live bait, artificial bait. So my, my, my favorite way, most people down here like to use, like to use, um, popping corks okay. and live shrimp underneath the popping cork. I like to just take the popping cork off, cast out with just a live shrimp and a, and a, and a number, a number two kale hook. Kale hooks kind of have, have a weird bend to them and they're, and they're hard to take out, but you know, I just want to catch fish and I, I bring, I bring a long pair of, of, of pliers and just reach that pliers right in their mouth and that hook right out. But you know, if you just if you just let a live shrimp just flit around with with a hook with a hook in it, it's it's gonna look like a dying shrimp, and anything sure. that's in there, anything that's in there is gonna grab that, and that also includes pinfish. But you know, the pinfish are gonna get out of the pinfish are just a small little bait fish, and they're gonna get out of their way if a redfish wants it. So I, I just I like the free line, I like the free line um line shrimp and the most important part about catching redfish is to find moving water if you can find moving water going up against some structure like some grass or some, or some wood or something chances are it's going to be a redfish there okay um jeff hendo henderson wants to know what your favorite lake is in illinois 
Oh, geez. I don't think I, I would be like asking which one of my kids is my favorite kid. And oh. <laughs> I've raised a lot of kids. And my favorite kid was always the one who's behaving the best right now. But if you had, if I had to narrow it down to three, it'd be the three lakes that I that I guided. That would be Shabanaw Lake, Heideki Lake, and Evergreen Lake. Because you know I guided all three of those lakes, and I always had a good bike going on for the entire for the entire ice free season. And you know, living up north, it's all about <laughs> is there ice there or not. You know, as soon as the ice got off the water, I went to the Illinois River. Then I then I would start going to Lake LaSalle. And as 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 the as the nuclear power lakes opened up, I start going to the nuclear power lakes and catching incredible amounts of bass and hybrid stripers. And then of course the crappie started moving, so I'd go to Shabanaw, then I go to Evergreen, then I go to Heideke Lake, and Heideke Lake then after it warmed up became became a great lake for, for casting crankbaits at the rocks. And I would catch either largemouth, smallmouth bass, or walleyes. And every once in a while, I catch a muskie there too, throwing crankbaits at the rocks. But you know, the walleyes there at Heideke were big and mean. And now they're catching crappies. They're over 13 inches long, which is just an incredible size crappie for for Illinois. It's not an incredible size crappie down here, but you really have to look at the fishery when you're evaluating this, how much that fish is worth. Okay. Um. So you fished all over, pretty much all over the country. Can you uh, give us a little bit of um, your experiences with fishing um, up north and down south? Um, differences, maybe some similarities. Boy, I tell you, you know, when I was growing up up up, up north, and my friends and I were watching the Bassmasters, we used to tell each other that well, we could, we could compete in that because it's hard to catch fish up here. It's easy to catch fish down south. Well, it makes it look easy catch fish down south when you're watching the Bassmasters. It really does because those are the best, the best fishermen in the world. <laughs> and, and you know, those those guys are lucky. Not lucky. They've worked hard enough that now they, they have the privilege of fishing every day. But when I got down south here, I found out that, you know, well, the first my first experience with down south was my dad lived in Florida over on the Harris Lake chain. And I went down there and we started fishing and I could not believe, you know, one of his best friends was a really big, big in the bass. And he said, yeah, we catch about one fish a mile. Okay. The fish down south, they spread out because they, they it's, it all is good. It's all good bass cover. Every place you look, it looked like there should be bass there. The cover is much more subtle. There, 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 there could be a half, a half foot. Change, change in, in in the bottom, and the fish could be relating to that. Or you know, if it's real sunny, they're going to be relating to shadows. Up north, you, the cover is much more in your face, like like a riprap shoreline that goes on for a mile. And there there might be a hundred bass on that riprap shoreline. All you have to do is cast a crankbait, cast a crankbait parallel to it, and just just bounce that crankbait off the off the rocks at different depths. Or, you know, bass tend to school up more up north is what I found. You know, it wasn't unusual for me on a night in June to go out on a riprap shoreline and cast it with wacky rigs with people I was guiding and catch 25 bass in the first in the first pass. You know, but you didn't have the, you didn't have the six, seven, eight pound bass up north in as big in numbers. You know, the, the biggest bass I ever caught was seven pounds. 
Okay. And that was miles. It was, it was no, that was five miles from my house in Illinois. You know, <laughs> and down here you have a much greater chance of catching a fish that big, but the fish are right. just spread out. That's that's the biggest difference I found. It's it's I do believe it's harder to catch bass down here in the swamps than it than it ever was in Illinois. Right. All right. MC Norris says uh, you can fish all year and catch bass in the south. Well, MC, um, being in the north, you can do the same thing up here. Um, but it's a lot more comfortable down south, I would say. What do you think, Jay? Yes, it is. And, and also, if you get to the deep south like I'm in, it's not very comfortable to fish in, in August in September because it's just brutally hot, 95 degrees, and it might be 98% humidity. Uh, and yes, you can you can catch bass 12 months out of the year down here, but also the bass down here get pounded 12 months out of the year. So they tend to be quite gun-shy, you know, when it comes to biting. Yeah, I remember uh, probably about 10, 15 years ago, a buddy of mine, um, we have a, a cup, we're in the middle of two lakes, Seneca and Cuba Lake up here where we're at. And we went out on in Seneca in uh, middle of January in a boat because it doesn't freeze. And uh, we were catching four and five pound smallies, and uh, we had such a good time. I mean, we only caught like ten of them, but that was a good uh, couple hours, two to three hours we had. But you know, you don't, you don't, you know, New York, you don't think about being out in the boat in January time frame. So no, you don't. That would be great. You know, and I I always push the, the open water season because I had a, a great river right next to me for fishing for walleyes and saugers, and I would go out there and and you know I'd have I'd have ice flows hitting my hitting my boat as I was jigging for walleyes. I just thought that was fun. I loved it because there was I had the whole river to myself, and you know if you're out there in, in March, every hole's gonna have fifty boats on it. You know, correct. Um, you you mentioned earlier about uh, fishing uh, crankbaits. Is that one of your uh, specialized techniques, favorite techniques, or? Yeah, it's something I really, really like to do a lot. What I like about crankbaits is you throw it out there and you're burning it, and it, it, it's hitting either rocks or, or the or the trees. And I like to burn crankbaits as fast as I can reel them. And when something hits it, it's so exciting because it just it, – the momentum of that lure just stops and it starts going the other way. And that, that initial thump is, is what keeps me fishing. That thump is just so exciting. I, I just love that. You know, I've, I've, I've figured out a couple of different ways to do it, especially on riprap shorelines. I, I really, really like casting those because there were just so many of them in Illinois and I just got used to fishing them. And there's always, there always seems to be fishing on them the entire open water season. Okay, nice. <clears throat> so, um, is there no, anything? One, oh, last thing, one last thing about crankbaits is yes. I could cover so much more water casting a crankbait parallel to the shoreline than I ever could wacky rigging. Wacky rigging is painfully slow. I pretty much, you have to have the fish, you either have to have faith in your spot or you have to have the fish pinpointed in order with a wacky rig. Or you're really, it's not a very good practice technique. And this is just my opinion. Other guys could, could think completely different of it. But I like to fish something a little bit more, a little bit faster when I'm, when I'm actually looking for fish than a wacky rig. Sure. 
And that's so like crankbaits are a good search pattern. Kind of like, not, not on like spinnerbaits, you know? Right. So you, you do you use uh, the crankbait primarily as a search bait and then follow up with a wacky rig once you find them? Or if I find concentrations of the fish, uh, you, what you said is absolutely true. Like okay. if I'm going down a, a, if I'm going down a, a riprap shoreline and I caught five fish within a 50 foot area, that'd be a good place to go back and surgically pick off every other fish on that area. Oh, nice, nice. So, um, what what is your uh, favorite thing about podcasting? Would you say? My favorite thing about podcasting is just meeting the people. Okay. I like making friends with the people who I podcast with. I like getting to know them because once I get to know a guy, I can do a great podcast with him. You know, we can joke around. I know what's, I know what, what I, how I can get him laughing. I know what kind of questions to ask him to get the best answers. I know what he gets excited about. It's, it's really something. Podcasting is a process and you, and you're never going to be done with the process. It's it's a lifelong way of learning how to communicate with people. That's the great challenge of it for me. Okay. What, what makes this guy tick? What really gets this guy exciting? Excited, you know. And and if you can, if 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 he if, if my if the guy I'm interviewing is really bouncing things off of me, and we're going back and forth very quickly, I believe. That 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 makes for a great podcast. All right. Um. So, would you like to talk about your podcast for a little bit? You know, um, well, my what podcast, it is, what it's about. My podcast is called Let's Talk Fishing. Um, I've been doing it for about a year and a half now. I have about three hundred and twenty-five podcasts under my belt, and. You know, when I was, you know, right now, I'm sure everybody knows I'm having some very, very serious health issues. I'm going to probably within the next couple of weeks, I'm going to go under the knife and have a very high risk surgery. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting it done so I can get back to doing six, seven podcasts a week. I like to put out a lot of podcasts. I like to talk to a lot of people. I like to talk to people from different parts of, of the United States. That's that's also interesting to me. Talk to a guy from Minnesota. Talk to a guy from California. Talk to you from New York. How is bass fishing different in New York than it is in, in, in southern Florida? How is bass fishing different out in California than it is in New York, than it is in Illinois, than it is in southern Louisiana? I want to know this. I want to know how it's, like you said, how is it similar? How is it different? What do you do? Guys who have won tournaments, what do you do that sets you apart from those hundred, from the hundred and one other guys on the elite series? What right. did you do that 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 gave you the edge, that caused you to win against the, the some of the best bass fishermen in the world? That's what I want to know. You know, yeah, you won. That's fantastic, God. What an achievement! But how'd you do it, dude? How'd you do it? Tell us, because you know you're never going to have the same conditions ever again. This right. old this old idea of of I'm not going to tell you when I was catching fish or how I was catching fish. I, I want to eradicate that from from the sport of fishing. I don't think that really has any place in fishing. I think we should all share share ideas because 
You could tell, John, you could tell me exactly how you caught a fish on this lake. I go out there and try to replicate it. And I might not be able to do what you were doing. You might just have, you know, like, like me, my hands shake a little bit. I think that helps me with finesse presentation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I really um, do. Yeah. Jeff Hendo Henderson says, after we talk to Goose, um, they feel that they know you as a friend. So, so. Well, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that. I, I feel I know you guys as friends now, too. And you know what? I don't, I feel I don't have, I don't know any strangers. You know, I'll, they're, they're only friends I haven't met. Correct. I pretty much, whenever I meet somebody, I try to find somebody, something I like about them. Up to you. It's my goal. Okay. Um, Rob also, Rob chiming in here saying uh, Brock Mosley's definitely on a momentum roll. Yes. Brock, go Brock, go, man. That, that guy, Rob and I have had a lot of talks about this. Rob is, Brock is a stud, you know, God. he is, he is on a roll and he just, actually, I'm going to have him on tomorrow. Okay, nice. So, uh, you know, everybody make I sure really you like turn into uh, Jay's podcast tomorrow. What I really like about Brock Mosley, he's, he's moving towards being one of the best bass fishermen in the United States. And the guy hasn't changed. He's still very down to earth. Very much talks to you. He doesn't, man, you know, I like people like that. Yes. Um, there's some. No? Uh, let's see. What else? Any other questions for Jay? Um, the consensus here is Jay's a good guy, which we all knew. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, yes, my wife just asked if you were the one that was in the Air Force. And, yep, you're the only one. I was an air traffic controller over in Michigan. Yeah. Um, I think I did I, more fishing than controlling air traffic, actually, when I was in Michigan. I'm sorry? I think I, I did a lot more fishing than controlling air traffic when I was over there in Michigan in the Air Force. <laughs> okay. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I'm, I – um, my military service, I saw, um, one of my, uh, former officers was on here earlier and, uh, she was the best officer I ever had. And, um, we, uh, she was a helicopter pilot and I was the communications guy for some of them. And we dealt with the ATCs a little bit and sure. I got to talk into one and they told you know, the stress levels and all that. It's just you know, ridiculous. The stress levels, it, it, it's a difficult job. You know, you, you might sit there for six hours and not do one thing. You know, in, in a six second, all hell breaks loose. And, and, you, and you, don't, you don't breathe for 15 minutes in a row. I mean, it, because you're just talking. But, yeah. but you lose yourself in that. And that 15 minutes flies by like, like half a minute. And then when you're done and you just go back to sitting down and drinking coffee. Okay. You know, that, that's pretty much what much how I remember ATC, you know. That's but you know, I had more fun. They they had me they had me right on the shores of, of Lake St. Clair and I was you know, twenty one years old and I spent most of my money renting boats and going out with sixteen foot lungs on 
Lake St. Clair, and anybody who's ever been out on Lake St. Clair knows that you shouldn't be on Lake St. Clair on a 16-foot loan with a 25-foot outboard. You just shouldn't. It, it's a mean lake, but I caught huge. The biggest smallmouth bass I've ever seen. Some of the biggest walleyes I've ever seen. You know, I caught those just casting rattle traps because I only had one rattle trap. I was, I was poor. I was in a, a three-striker in the Air Force, you know. So, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of lures, and I wasn't very fancy. You know, I had an ugly stick and blue Kmart line. Hey, <laughs> you got out there and caught fish, so. Tens of thousands. Then they sent me 180 miles north up to up to, um, the very top end of Saginaw Bay, which was called Oscoda, and I caught salmon and steelhead and walleyes and smallmouth bass and northern pike. Just had the time. I fished almost every day of the year because they had streams where the steelhead would run through those streams all year long. And it was, my, my wife said she, she thought, she thought she had a husband when, until she moved to Ascoda. <laughs> then she knew she didn't have one because I was gone all, because if I wasn't fishing, I was deer hunting, you know, it was just one of the better times I've ever had in my life, you know, being 22 years old and yeah. Wow. And there was no stress at, at, at at Selfridge because it was a or at at us in Oscoda because it was a B fifty two base and B fifty twos are awfully slow compared to fighters. So <laughs> Yeah. They're they're not really uh maneuverable, you know. No. no they're not evasive and I would I would clear a, a B fifty two to land and I'd sit there and drink my coffee and watch them land. <laughs> with, with, with fighters you clear a fighter to land and there's there's 16 more of them waiting to land and there's Gosh, yeah, that was that was quite a quite an interesting experience being at a fighter base. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, but, you know, back to fishing. Um, I think it was on you know Skoda where I really finally tuned my my fishing my fishing skills because I went every single day and I was constantly jigging or live bait rigging or doing all kinds of cool things to try to catch steelhead. And the smallmouth bass I learned that you can catch them on crappie jigs just as easily as you can catch them on bigger jigs. It was it was really an experience being able to go every single day and follow the fish around all year long in the river systems. Okay, um, Justin Salisbury is a uh, a friend and uh, fellow fisherman, and he also loves the wacky rig. Good, good. <laughs> I don't know if you can see the comment, so I'll read it to you. It says, just wanted to share, you can also fish wacky rig weightless deep off the back of a boat. Caught 10 pounds on Chickamauga and three casts in a row, about 10 feet of water, and took a nap while I was waiting for it to sink. Caught <laughs> <laughs> exactly. a four-pounder, four-pounder, and two-pounder, back to back to back, while the boater had zero. <laughs> You know, I don't think I have enough patience to be able to sit there and, and, and wait for a wacky rig to, to fall 10 feet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have some friends that'll, that'll do that, and uh, I, I, I can't do it. But in all fairness, you know, I have, I have, I have fished tournaments as a co-angler before, and you do what you got to do when you're a co-angler. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, Rob wants to know, Jay, your favorite boat you have ever owned and fished out of? Oh, that's a good you know, question. I, I, was, I was fortunate enough that there was a boat dealer in, in Spring Valley, Illinois, which is right next to the town that I lived in, uh, Peru, Illinois. I got to know him really well. He had a fishing show. He had me on his fishing show. He called me one day and said, Jay, I have a 19-foot Triton. 
with a 200 horse Evinrude on the back of it. Electronics up front, electronics on the console, and a, I believe it was a 74 pound thrust trolling motor, a 24 volt system. And he said, I, I will give it to you for what I bought it for. And I walked, I went down there with my girlfriend and he, and he gave us a quote how much he would sell it for. He goes, this is non-negotiable, take it or leave it. <laughs> and, and so I, I bought that boat and it was a, it was a very, very fast boat. In fact, I never got it up to top speed because it just scared me. Oh, but it was a 19 foot Triton. It was a walleye boat, which means, it's, well, you, you being from New York, you probably know what a walleye boat is. Yes. But for you guys down south, a walleye boat <laughs> sit, has as much higher has much higher gunnels to be able to take waves. And I took that thing to Lake Erie. I took that thing to Green Bay. I took that thing to the Detroit River. I drove that thing all over the place. I just I just loved it. So that was the favorite boat I ever had. Nice. Yeah, don't don't be talking about. Um, I'm trying to get a boat, and uh, you're not helping the cause by saying fast and scary. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm careful with boats because you know I work for the U.S. Geological Survey, and I'm in boats all the time on the Mississippi River and the Chafalaya River down here, and up up north I was on the Ohio River. I'm not the Ohio. I was on the Illinois River during the worst floods that there was on the Ohio River, and I've seen things, man. <laughs> I bet. I've seen things, so I tend to be a lot more. Also, you know, since I've been fishing in boats since I was four years old, I tend to be more careful than most people. Sure. You know, one of the things that I, I've been told several times is um, if you're afraid, turn around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? Because yeah, if, if your confidence isn't there, turn around. I've been so. in a couple of boating accidents, and they happen really fast, really, really fast. The next thing you know, your boat's flipped over, and you, what happened? <laughs> no, <it's>... <laughs> 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 so, so do you guys name your boats? Like I name my vehicles, but that's just. I think that's from my dad. He always uh, named his vehicle girl names because they're very needy. But do you guys oh. name your boats? <laughs> <laughs> I don't name my personal boats, but when in the U.S. Geological Survey, somebody names a boats, and it's usually the the top guy in the in the office I work for says this is oh. what we're going to call it. Very cool. It's supposed, yeah. luck not to name a, it's supposed to be bad luck not to name a boat, but I. I don't see any. I don't see any reason to name a fishing boat. It's just a tool. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rob, Rob has a, a, a good thing. He says one thing I've always said: if you respect the water in the boat, you're fine. If you're afraid, turn around. Absolutely, you can respect it. Yes, and you know, it's it's at times that that the, that there's no wind and, the, and it's flat, and and you're just not paying attention. That's when things happen. <laughs> sure. You know, um, I've been in a couple uh, hairy situations up here. You know, <clears throat> we have some pretty good sized water with Lake Ontario. You too. You too. <laughs> you're, on, you're on the wrong side of Lake Ontario, man. The, the waves get the whole stretch to come down. Yes. Yes. And uh, we were out and we had a 16 foot Stratos. Well, 17 foot, I'm sorry, 17 or 18 foot Stratos, 
and uh, <laughs> we were out fishing a tournament out of um, around the Koi Bay, and we were about two hour good drive back, you know, and uh, the we're looking and looking and like, well, we should probably be heading out in about five ten minutes. Well, that five ten minutes turned into seconds because <laughs> the downpour came. And we we're like I said, we were in a small boat, uh, had a 150 on the back, and we were in 10 foot rollers. You know, Woo! it did not take long. So we found uh, a spot to duck into, and there were three three footers in this little canal that, or creek that we were in, and it's like wow. Yeah. You know. And. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we called our buddy, said, hey, can you bring the truck and trailer over to such and such a place? And so, yeah, we uh, we decided to uh, not risk our life anymore. Yeah, I've, I've been in situations like that on Lake Erie, so, yeah. Yeah. So. Yes. All right. Well, anyone, anyone else have anything for Jay they'd like to know? Um. So <clears throat> I'm wondering, uh, do you have any uh, partners or sponsors or anything you want to talk about that's helping sure. you with your podcast or helping you in fishing or in life? Well, first of all, I'd like to, I'd like to thank Grant Hooks, Jim Grant from Grant Hooks. My goodness, why did I just say that? Grant Rods. Grant Rods is a, is a company out of Arlington Heights, Illinois. Jim Grant's the owner. And he was the first guy to take an interest in me. And he asked me if I do podcasts with his with his um pro staff. So I did po a podcast with every with with the the pro staff members that he selected. And since then we've had a partnership, and I just I just love his rods. They're so sensitive, they're so light. You know that's what I use for wacky rigging now. One of his one of his um Cuda EXTs. It's six foot six, medium action, and it's just so light and sensitive. We cast that thing all day long, so that's that's my rod. Um, Daiwa reels. I, I love the Daiwa reels. They're so smooth. They're so light. Um, vector hooks. With my hat, the hat I'm wearing. I've been with JB now for over a year. You know his company wasn't brand new, but it was it was relatively new when I started, and we've had a great partnership there. Um, Cajun lures. That's a that's a a soft plastics company, Zach Dubois and I have worked together for a little while. And I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple, but um, Gray Goat, Gray Goat, they make spinner baits and blade baits. I've had a great partnership with him. In fact, I talked to Alvin last night. And that's about it. I'm pretty selective with who I work with, who I work with, you know. Yeah, and one of the important things is you get along with everybody that you work with. So, absolutely, you know. You know, when I get into work with a company, I want it to be like, like, like I'm one of the owners, you know? And, and these companies treat me like that. When I call them, they call, I, I talk to the owners. Like, I can't talk to the owners. Yeah. But, you know, Diana would just make such great, such great reels. I, I can't, I can't not work with them, you know? For sure. <laughs> I understand. Um, so I don't really have anything else to talk about tonight. Um, anything you would like to know? Um, 
I don't know anything about fishing, so. It doesn't, it doesn't, have, to, it doesn't have to be out fishing. Um, I do have some. I'm um, just the face. <laughs> Maybe I should just stand behind the camera on the other side and let her talk. Yeah. <laughs> or at least sit here. But um, no, any tips for us, um, uh, new podcasters or? Just, this is going to sound really simple, but, but I think it's the biggest part. Just keep doing it. Keep practicing how you say things. You know, and, and just get to know the people at the interview. Talk to them for, for 15, 20 minutes before you interview them and, and kind of feel them out, see what makes them tick. And then you will get a much better interview that way because then you'll know what kind of questions to ask them. You won't be fumbling around trying to find something to talk about. And I'm not saying you didn't do that, but, you know, when I was new, I found myself doing that. Then I found myself, when it was the first time I podcast some, with somebody, I'll sit there and talk to them for sometimes 20, sometimes even 30 minutes. Just, just trying to get to know them better so I can get a better interview that, that flows smoother. And I've always, I'm always looking for ways to talk more smoothly, to talk more effectively, to say, to, to get to the core of, of what we're going to be interviewing about and not, not to get off subject. You know, I'm always, I'm always striving to do that as I podcast. Okay. Mm, yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, the, the thing I have to constantly be mindful Sometimes I, I forget the podcast is about my guests. You know, I interject stuff about myself, but for the most part, I try to keep my conversation about them. Mm-hmm. And don't ever talk about politics. That, that, that's a killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand that, you know. But, um, well, Jay, I'd like to. Uh, no, go ahead. Well, uh, no, I was just going to say. Uh, I haven't listened to a lot of your uh, interviews, but the ones that I have listened to, I absolutely love how you uh, interact with each person that you talk to. And I feel like adding those little little tidbits of yourself um, make it flow a lot better. And, and then it gets the other person to talk a little bit more as well. So I do love listening to you interview other, other members and other people. So. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I, I, I see in John that that he's he's the same way. He can talk to absolutely any. He can talk to absolutely anybody, and he enjoys talking to people. He likes people. You know, I support you, John. You're going to do well. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Means a lot coming from you. Um. So, um. Well, I'm going to end this here with Jay okay. and. Uh, I want to thank Jay for being on and everybody out there listening and taking part, asking questions. So uh, everybody have a good night. Um, Take care. And uh, we're having a special uh, podcast on Saturday um, with uh, Marchero from uh, Italy. Uh, Nice. That's going to be interesting. Yes. So we're going yeah, we're going from Louisiana to Italy. <laughs> Good job landing that guy, man. It's going to be interesting. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much, Jay. Everybody, take care and uh, have a great day. <laughs>